Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. So we have been reading this verse from Hebrews. I hope you're not sick of it yet. I'm, I'm probably going to read it at the beginning of every sermon in this series. It's the anchor verse. It's the one that really sets the tone for everything that we're talking about in the series. It, it comes from Hebrews chapter 12 at verse 1, and, and it's one of those verses that I don't have it memorized per se, but if someone else starts reading it in their Bible and they're reading out loud, I can kind of track along. I can pretty much tell you what's coming next. I couldn't quote it necessarily from memory. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. Perseverance is patient endurance. That's what it is. It's, it's patient endurance. It's, it's hang in there. It's going to take a while. Perseverance is certainly something that is not foreign to the Christian life. You have to be able to have some perseverance and some patience. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Someone who would know a little something about perseverance and patience and waiting on God is the person that we're going to look at today from the Old Testament. We, we spent the first four weeks of this series talking about some men. In the last four weeks, we're going to talk about some of the women and today we're going to look at the life of Sarah from the Old Testament. It is possible that you are here today and you feel like, Brett, I, I know that you say God loves me and I know that, that you say God has a plan for my life and, and I know that there are some promises for me and I believe you when you say that stuff. I do. I mean, I like you and I believe you, but Brett, to tell the truth, it doesn't seem like that's true. It doesn't feel like any of that stuff is happening for me. Whether it's something to do with your business or your kids or work or, you know, maybe a marriage, it can at times feel like it's actually trending in the opposite direction, not in the good direction. And, it, and we can have a tendency to get a little bent when that happens. Sarah and her husband, Abraham, had received a promise from God. We read this in Genesis chapter 15, and we're going to be kind of there in Genesis 15 and 16, if you want to turn your Bibles there. Genesis 15 verse 1 after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now, you will notice that his name is not Abraham yet. His name is Abram. Um, her, his wife is not going to be called Sarah yet. Her, her wife, his wife's name at this point is Sarai. You would, you would spell it with an A-I, not an A-H. Both of them, as they let God work in their lives, they will look less and less like themselves, and they will begin to look more and more like God. And the A-H part of their name, Abraham and Sarah, <clears throat> that A-H in both of their names represents kind of a name for God. And it is kind of God's way of saying, I'm going to put myself in you. In Hebrew, the A-H kind of stands for God. And so when he puts A-H in Abram's name, he's putting himself in Abram. When he puts A-H at the end of Sarah's name, he's putting himself in and Sarah, he says, I'm going to put myself in you. And God is going to come to Abram and speak to him. And every time God speaks to somebody, like when he sends an angel or <clears throat> anytime there's some kind of representation of God and God's going to speak to somebody on earth, um, <laughs> it seems to always start with these words, do not be afraid, right? I mean, like you would, because you would be afraid if you, if you heard from God. Oftentimes when God's bringing you something, the response isn't, oh, yay, God, what do you have for me? Uh, you would have a tendency to be afraid. There's usually a, a process associated with it. There's usually some stuff that's going to be going on that is going to take you through maybe a fire or take you through a, a trial, and, and you're going to have to, you're going to learn some things along the way, a lot of things we don't necessarily want to go through. We're going to talk about that today. But he says, do not be afraid. You know, hang in there. You got to be tough. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? God, here you are saying you're going to bless me and I don't even have an heir. So you've got to understand, babies are important to us, babies were important to them, even probably more so. You had to perpetuate your name. You wanted a big family. You wanted lots and lots of kids. That was the blessing. And Abram's looking at God and he's saying, look, I don't have the blessing." I don't have any kids. I don't have an heir. What can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. 
Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir. Abram, I know it looks that way right now, but that's not the way this is going to end up. I know it seems like you are are, are not going to have kids. I know it's trending in that direction, but that's not really what's going to happen. A son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Now this promise, you have to understand, is coming 25 years before it will actually be fulfilled. Okay? Get that in your head. The promise being made is 25 years before it will be fulfilled. Let me ask you a question. Some of you get mad if God, don't you get mad when when God doesn't start acting on your behalf in 25 seconds? Right? Like, God, where are you? You My faith's being tested. It's It's been longer than 25 seconds. I don't know what to do here. 25 minutes, now you're really coming unhinged. 25 days and we start you know start to doubt our faith 25 weeks and we're ready to leave the faith never go to church again god doesn't exist right because he didn't come through for me can you imagine 25 years you're going to wait for this promise for a baby 25 years usually means if you're waiting that long you might not ever be able to have kids and many of you know this story and you know what's going to happen it's going to be a miracle god's going to bring a pregnancy about and the capacity for childbearing for these two has, is going to have passed. You know that. So here's what I want you to see. And you hear me say this all the time, but it really is true. God has a plan. And God is going to bring something about, but he's going to do it in his timing, which is a perfect timing. And he has a reason for it. That's what we can't get our heads wrapped around. And if you're going to be a Christ follower, you just need to get used to the fact that God is not always going to do things on your timetable. Hate to break you up. Hate to, hate to be the one that tells you that everything doesn't revolve on your timetable. God certainly does not work on your timetable. That's oftentimes where we have issues with God. It's in timing. We want things to happen in this timing, our timing, which we think is perfect timing, and God's over here saying, no, we're going to do it at a different time, usually slower, usually takes a little longer. God tries to help us understand, and he tries to help Abram understand And I'm just going to be honest with you, even when God tries, we usually still don't get it. Verse 5, he took him outside and he said, I want you to to do something that you're not going to be able to do. Look up at the sky and count the stars. You're not going to be able to. You're not going to be able to count all the stars, but Abram, I want you to look up and I want you to count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And you need to get this. God will sometimes try to get you to understand things But he has his own dilemma going on. He's trying to get us to understand things sometimes that we just simply do not have the mental capacity to wrap our head around. There are certain things that he wants to do in your life and you just simply cannot get your head wrapped around that you're capable, that you have the resources, that you're going to be able to do the things that you think he's calling you. You're like, God, you got to be crazy calling me to that. There's no way I can do that. Often God is trying to call us to things that we simply don't have the mental capacity to be able to see and to receive. Sometimes we can't even conceive the things that God is trying to bring to us. God says, I know know you can't wrap your mind around it, but your family tree is going to look like that, Abram. It's going to be like the stars of the sky, countless. You're not going to be able to count them all. God said to Abram, so shall your offspring be. Today's message is for when you can't understand God, and impatience threatens to overwhelm you. That's what we're talking about today. I read it. It sounds good in the Bible. Brett said it. Sounds good. Sounds good on Sunday when Brett says it, and then I go home, and it doesn't make any sense to me. You know, Brett says it, and I can see it because it's, you know, I'm there, and I've been with God, and I've been worshiping a little bit, and, and I get that, and then I come home, and I try to read my Bible myself, or I'm trying to do things the way God wants me to do them, and I just, it, it just all goes south. This is for when you can't understand God and impatience threatens to overwhelm you. Sarah would come along and say, look, I got impatient. I started to navigate this my own way and man, did I mess things up when I tried to do this my way. Let me just say this to help you. A little bit of patience can save you a lifetime of regret. A little bit of patience can save you a lifetime of regret. Let me just go a step further. One of the things that God's taught me in recent years Uh, It's a process of about the last, I'd say, 10 years I've been learning this this idea that I'm going to share with you. Um, You know, we we have this tendency to want to say things when people say things to us. 
We live in a culture of the last word, right? We live in a culture of the rant. We, we, we've, we've come to believe that what we've got to say is more important than what everybody else has to say. And you said this to me, so I'm going to say this to you because my thing that I'm going to say is the most important thing. Here's what I've learned. One of the things I've learned is I have two options whenever I'm faced with answering someone. And, you know, I get angry just like you do. People offend me just like they offend you. Stuff happens in my world just like it happens in yours, and I got something to say about it. Here's what I've learned. I have two options. I can either indulge my flesh and say things for 20 seconds that I probably will regret for the next 20 years, or I can withhold those comments and I can hold my tongue for 20 seconds and be thankful for the next 20 years that I didn't say something stupid that I wish I hadn't said. I'm trying to learn the second one. A little bit of patience can save you a lifetime of regret. How many of you had a crush in middle school? Oh, he was so cute. He was so dreamy. He had the most beautiful car. I just loved him. I wanted to get married to him and have his babies. Or guys, we saw that girl and she was hot, right? Like she was like, oh, was she awesome. If God would just let me marry her, wouldn't that be great? You got, that, you got that person, and we've all got one, right? You got that person in your head, and then this wonderful thing came along, tongue-in-cheek, Facebook came along, and now we have the capacity to see what people look like now, right? Like you got the image in your head, what they looked like when they were 15 or 16, and when they were 15 or 16, they were hot. And at 45, 50, 55, they're not and you had such a crush, and you prayed, God, I mean, I think Garth Brooks sings a song about this, unanswered prayers, right? And then you see them on Facebook, and you're like, thank you, Jesus, that I did not marry that person, <laughs> right? Look at them. I mean, you're, you, that you get the friend request, and all you got is the face shot, and you're like, well, they, I can see, you know, I can see that little boy in there, or that little girl in there. And then you see the full body shot, and you're like, oh, my goodness. Time has not been kind to this person. You know, I could have married them. Or, and then you start reading in their, their bio or whatever, and they've been married like eight, eight or nine times, and you could have been number seven, right? I mean, you're like, and you, and you say, thank you, God, that you didn't give me what I prayed for. Thank you that you didn't say yes to that. I, this is what I wanted, but it's, I'm, now I can see your wisdom. Problem is, we can see it when it's all over, but 25 years in advance, when God's saying no, we can't see what's going to happen 25 years down the line. And we get in such a hurry. We get so demanding. Come on, God, this is what I need. This is what I want. And, and we, we, we just beg and we plead and we, we pitch a fit, don't we? Maybe shake a fist. How many times have you seen something and thought to yourself, man, God, I'm really glad you didn't say yes to that prayer. But boy, when they were 15 or 16, you were putting the screws to God, weren't you? Like, come on, God, make this happen. You got to understand, this is an impatience thing, and it can threaten your life, and it can threaten to overwhelm you. Sarah would come along and she'd say, don't do what I did. See, Sarah would say it like this. Don't complicate God's promise with your solution. That's what we do. We complicate God's promise with our solution. Sarah does what we so often do. She takes matters into her own hands. I want to give you three little teachings uh, from, tr from Sarah about trusting God. So this is the way the sermon's going to go. I'm going to give you three little sayings about trusting God. And then we're going to call Sarah out of the stands, and she's going to run a lap with us as we run our, lap, our, our life laps. Sarah's going to run one, and we're going to hear three things that she might say to us to help us be a little more, more patient. Sarah would say to us, look, I didn't trust God. I didn't think he knew what he was doing. I thought a lot of what he was saying was just hot air, but I was wrong. I think Sarah would be jogging around a track with us, and she'd say, you need to trust God in three ways. And the first one is, you need to trust God even when it takes a long time. You need to trust God even when it takes a long time, because it probably will. None of us likes this part of God, but 
The, the fact of the matter is God is just usually not in as big a hurry as we are. God is not in the hurry that you are in. See, you live in this culture, and this culture has sped us up. Everything happens in this culture on a dead run. It's fast. Everything moves fast. God doesn't do that. God's culture, God's timing, God's way of doing things is completely different. The way God sees the world is different than ours. Uh, you know, a man asked God one time, God, you know, what's a million years like to you? And God said, well, a million years to me is like a second. And the guy said, well, God, what's a million dollars like to you? And God said, well, a million dollars is like a penny to me. And the guy stood there and thought for a minute. He said, God, could I have one of those pennies? And God said, sure, wait just a second. <laughs> Genesis 16, now Sarai, her name has not been changed yet. God has not installed himself in her. Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, and watch this, because something's going to happen here. Sarah with Sarah that, 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 that happens to us when we don't get our way. She develops bad theology. Sarah is not going to get her way, and she's going to develop bad theology. Look at this. The Lord has kept me from having children. You'll start thinking theologically incorrect things when your timing does not match up to God's timing. You will begin to develop an inaccurate view of God if you allow God's timing to jack with you. And that's what happens with Sarah. She goes into this overwhelmingly impatient mode. She's not going to wait on God. Here's Sarah's solution. She looks at her husband and she says, go sleep with my slave. Perhaps God can do it. No, 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 I said that wrong. Perhaps if God can't do it, perhaps I'll just do it. I'll make it happen. I'm not going to wait on God and his plan. I'm not going to do it in his time. Let's do this on my plan. He looks, she looks at her husband and she says, go have sex with our servant and produce offspring. 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 What? I'm not sure what offspring is. I'm not, I'm not, offspring. She says, I can build our family through her. That's what we'll do. You just go have sex with her. We'll build our family through her. And Abram should have said no, but what did Abram say? Sure. Okay. All right. You know, Eeyore, can't you? All right. I really don't want to, but I will. Right? I mean, you just want to scream at Abram, don't do it. In fact, he conceives a child with Hagar, and the child's name is Ishmael, and you may or may not know this, Ishmael grows up to become the father of the Arab nations, and there's been conflict between the two ever since. Here's something you just need to know. Oftentimes, a decision that we make in our impatience creates huge amounts of chaos for us in our life. When you get impatient, and you don't wait on God, and you don't let him bring good things to you, what you often do is you invite chaos into your life. You've done it, I've done it. Here's the second thing we learn from Sarah about trusting God. Trust God even when it seems ridiculous. Here's our problem, and I really think it's all of us. We want our Christianity to be normal. We want it all buttoned down. We want it all to look normal. And here's the problem. If you like normal, God's normal is going to mess with you. Because God's normal over here doesn't look anything like our normal. Right? Normal over here for God, he's got an idea and a picture of what normal is. And we're operating in a normal over here that looks nothing like God's normal. And it's really, it's not that we're normal. God's way is normal. We think we're normal. God's like, no, this is really the natural way. This is how I do things. This is the way I operate. This is normal. But we're over here going, no, God, this is normal. It's faster. It's shortcuts. It's plastic. We look at it and we think it's wisdom. First Corinthians says the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. Miracles aren't normal for us. 
So when you say you want normal, what you're doing is you're, re you're removing yourself. When, when you look at God and you say, God, that's not normal, what you're saying is, I'm going to remove myself from these supernatural things that, that I want to happen in my world. The miraculous things that we read about or sometimes that we hear about that somebody else has experienced. We remove ourselves from any possibility of that when we demand that we're going to live in our normal. Because God's normal and God's normal miracles are no big deal. When you've created the world, the sun, moon, and stars, and, you know, 600 different kinds of beetles, you can do anything. And anything you do is just normal for you. Over here, we look at it and go, wow, that's awesome. God's over here going, it's just normal. This is what I do. This is who I am. You know, miracles aren't any big problem for me. Miracles are a problem for you because your normal doesn't include miracles. Your normal doesn't include that God could do something big in your world. Genesis 18, then one of them said, so these three guys are going to be sent by God to talk to Abraham and to Sarah, and, and so they're standing there and they're talking. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you. This is, they're speaking for God. I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Not might, not maybe. Your wife will have a son. Now keep in mind, Sarah and Abram are old now. They're, they're, they're past childbearing years. Abraham, he's about 100. Sarah's about 90. Think about that. And the Bible says, Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself. And this wasn't a polite laugh. Okay? This wasn't a... No, this was a mocking laugh. This was a laugh that basically said, ha, God, you're nuts. You've lost your mind. You know how old I am. It was the laughter that the world sometimes laughs at us. Let me just ask you a question as a Christian. When the world laughs at your faith, how does it make you feel? God is offended. God is offended when Sarah laughs. She's mocking him. Sarah says, yeah, I'm going to have kids, right? I'm going to have kids. Whatever. After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, I will have this pleasure. Will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? In other words, I wasn't joking. I didn't say anything funny. You ever been in that moment where you laughed at something and you realized, oh, wait a minute, they didn't mean that as a joke. That was real. Whoops. That's the moment. God's not happy. God's saying, I haven't said anything funny. Nobody should be laughing right now. Why did Sarah laugh and say, well, I really have a child now that I am old? Verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah would say, God is going to do something, it's going to take some time, and when he, does, when he does do something, it's going to be really strange, and you need to trust God even if those around you don't. You need to trust God even when those around you don't. There will always be naysayers around you, Okay? There's always going to be somebody telling you you're nuts to believe in God. There's always going to be somebody telling you you're crazy to follow the way of Jesus. There will always be somebody telling you that. I'm, I'm going to say something here, and it won't be a surprise to anybody that knows me super well, but it needs to be said. The digital age that we are living in is a wonderful age. I mean, it's amazing the, the information that we can get just off our phones. I mean, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. Um, but I'm told that the technology in our phone far surpasses the technology that they had to launch the first man into space. You have that in the palm of your hand. Okay, the computing power in that phone is an amazing thing. We, we have access to all kinds. We can get our weather. We can get our text messages, our emails. You can figure out what you're going to stream on Netflix and binge watch, and then you can actually binge watch it on there. Right? I mean... 
all of us, when I go like that, I don't even have to tell you what I'm mimicking. You all know what I'm doing, right? Because we all do that. I mean, we wake up in the morning, and that's kind of what we do, right? Start scrolling. That thumb starts scrolling. Technology's awesome. But that same technology is responsible for sort of an information overload where we're concerned. There's so much stuff that hits our brain every day, all kinds of information that just overloads us. I go through stretches where um, I'm not on Facebook very much at all. I really can't stand Facebook. I'm there just enough to just kind of check in. Twitter is kind of more my thing, but anymore, Twitter is this way too. It's just, there's so much negativity. There's so much arguing. There's so much you know, rants. Everybody's got a rant. And I just, one of the things that really drives me nuts anymore is um, are people that think they have to have a hot take. You know, they've got, the, they've got a thought nobody else has had, and boy, they are hell-bent to share it with the rest of the world. And sometimes you read that stuff, and you think to yourself, I've read stuff before, preachers, spiritual people. They've got this, you know, cool one or two-liner, and and you sit there and you think to yourself, I wonder how long they sat and tried to think up, like, ooh, this is, I'm going to tweet that. And then they start going back and checking how many people liked it and, you know, was it popular and am I trending and all that kind of stuff. It just drives me crazy. But what's gone out the window is there's no decorum anymore. There's no grace. There's no forgiveness. There's no speech seasoned with grace. There's no kindness. And all this stuff still exists, but it can seem like it's long gone. And it can turn us into a person who doesn't speak with grace and doesn't have forgiveness and doesn't doesn't have kindness. It can turn us into those kind of people. The problem is you get all these voices going on inside your head and they may make you doubt the truth. And that seems to sometimes become our reality. We just kind of fall in with everybody else and they're all negative and they're all not happy. They're yelling all the time, going on rants. You look at Facebook, and somebody has uploaded some picture that they want you to see. Now, let me just help you understand what's going on with that picture. I'm going to pick on the ladies for a minute, because I I think this happens with the ladies more than with the guys. But let's say you're at a restaurant, and you're going to have the waiter or the waitress, the the server, you're going to have them take a picture for you, right, of of your crew. And ladies, you hand him your phone, and you all get in the picture, and you take the picture. Do you want him to just take one picture? Maybe three, five would be better, right? And what are you going to do when he hands the phone back to you? You're going to look at yourself in the picture. You don't care what your husband looks like. Be honest. All you're really looking for is, do I look okay? Because I'm going to put this out on Facebook, right? And what you're going to do is you're going to go through those five pictures, and you're going to pick the one picture that makes you look great. Your husband could look like a whale. You don't care. Right? You're going to pick the one picture that makes you look thin, makes you look pretty, makes you look younger, makes you look happier. Now, none of those things may be true, but that's what you want to portray in this picture that you're going to put on Facebook. Now, let me just show you what's going on there. If you do that, don't you think everybody's doing that? So when you get on somebody's Facebook page and you see this beautiful family and they're perfect and they don't look like they've ever got a problem in the world and everything's all hunky-dory, don't buy that. There's jacked up as you are. Okay, she just, I mean, she's smiling in the picture three seconds before that smile she was yelling at him, okay? It's who we are, it's what we do. But we put out that image, don't we? And then everybody gets on Facebook and they look at these images and they look at these people and they look at these timelines and they're like, well, boy, my life's not like that. Well, no, nobody's life is like that. See, you're looking, what you're seeing is the highlight reel. That one or two seconds that were really glorious. And then right after that, she looked at him and yelled at him. Yeah, we were taking the picture. What were you talking for? Right? I mean, that's just, and I'm I'm picking on the ladies, but it could be the other way around. It could be, I guess. (laughs) I should move on. Let's move on. 
Sarah would say, listen, you've got to be careful because I had voices around me saying, you can't have a baby at 90. That's not normal. That doesn't happen. Look what Sarah said. God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. In other words, now let everybody see what God did. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Sarah would say, God knew exactly what he was doing. And my surrogate solution was a horrible substitute for God's promise. Now here's why I love God and here's why I love the gospel. You can be Sarah. You can totally screw it up. You can totally go in and buy into your thing and get completely away from God's normal. You can think to yourself, this is the right way to do it. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to have my husband sleep with my servant so that he will produce an offspring and we'll have an heir, which is completely 180 from what God wanted to happen. You can do all that and still somehow Sarah ends up in the hall of fame of faith in Hebrews 11. That's what I love about God. Because every one of you that walked in here this morning, and myself included, we've got a past that we, we, there's stuff we don't want anybody to know. And we think, well, Hall of Fame of Faith, you know, that's for the, that's for the spiritual giants. That's for the greats. No, it's for a woman like Sarah who looked at her husband and said, go have sex with our servant so we can have an heir. Someone that faithless, someone who made that big a mistake, Someone who got that far off track, God looks at and says, come on back home. I love you. Come on back home. I, in fact, I, I'm going to do something in you and through you that's going to put you in the hall of fame of faith. Here's what, here's what we read about Sarah in Hebrews 11. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And at the end, she realized, as will all of us, that when we try to work out our own solutions, it doesn't work out too well. But God is still faithful, and he's still full of grace, and he still forgives us when we go our own way. I love that about God. Even when you demonstrate your doubt in the word of God, God looks at you and says, you can always come home. So as we jog around the track this morning in front of this mighty cloud of witnesses and we, we call Sarah out for a moment to come run with us, and what, what would she say? The first thing I think she'd say is, don't try to get ahead of God when he isn't moving fast enough for you. And we've all done that. I think all of us have found ourselves there. We are impatient people. I, I won't spend much time on this story because i got to hurry, but when I had first taken over as the preacher, um, we youth group was we didn't have the space we have now and and so we were growing and and kids stuff was exploding and, and we were freaking out i was freaking out like we don't have space so i heard a, an advertisement on the radio for something called a general steel building you ever heard of a general steel building i heard heard the advertisement and they you know they're like they started naming some prices and i'm like well, boy those are cheap so i've came into an elders meeting and basically i mean i don't have the power to just say this is what we're going to do i don't have that kind of power but i came in and talked to the elders about it and, and after we all talked about it and they saw me get excited and i think they got excited and next thing you know we're pulling the trigger on a, a general steel building all right it's like i don't know 60 or seventy thousand dollars or 80 and we had to put a down payment down on it so we did that well then it starts to dawn on you well, there's a lot that goes into this. I mean, you, there's excavating, there's plumbing, there's windows, there's insulation, there's, you know, you got to insulate the roof. There's all this stuff that's got to happen. And we started saying, when are we going to do it? How are we going to do it? We don't really have the time to do it ourselves. Who are we going to hire to do it? And are we sure this is what we want? So now General Steele is calling me saying, Brett, hey, you know, you're on the hook for this building. When are you going to take delivery of this building? I'm like, not yet, not yet, not yet. Well, then they start really like, putting the pressure on like, hey, it's time. We can't hold this forever. We need to get rid of this thing. And they could have if they'd wanted to. I was dealing with a man of faith. The guy that dealt with me was a very fine Christian man. 
very understanding, and he understood the predicament that we were in and that I was in. And he, he, I remember he said, he said, Brett, look, General Steele, the company, does not benefit from taking you to court. Okay, we don't want to take you to court and make you take possession of this building. I said, well, what are my options? He said, well, one of your options is you just forfeit the down payment. That's what we did. That's what we did because I got us in such a hurry. I got impatient. I pushed. Come on, God. We got to make this happen. Come on. I don't want to wait any longer. We, this is the iron's hot. Let's strike. And God's like, ain't no iron hot right here. I know what iron you're looking at, but there ain't no hot iron right now. We forfeited the money. Lesson learned. Lesson learned. Don't get ahead of God. Peter said, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient. Some of you read that and you say to yourself, well, then what do I do in the meantime? What am I supposed to do while I'm waiting on God? Because sometimes we just go crazy because at times, I've seen some of you in painful situations just waiting on God to bring relief, waiting on God to, to kind of make it better and, and, and to bring a solution. In fact, there have been times when, where it looked like to anybody looking from the outside looking in that it was actually going in the wrong direction. Let me just give you a secret. The secret of patience is doing something else in the meantime. When you're, when you're wanting to do that thing and you're waiting on God and you've got to exhibit patience, find something else to do. Don't push. I love the way the, the New Living Translation says this psalm. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Now, your ability to do what comes on the second half of this period depends on your ability to do what happens in the first part of the verse. If you can just slow your life down, if you would just take 10 minutes a day, if you would just, preferably in the morning, but maybe you do it at night, just somewhere in your day, some of you, maybe it's lunchtime for you, I don't know, but if you just would find 10 or 15 minutes a day to just get alone, be quiet with God, maybe read your Bible or not, pray or not, meditate, listen to some praise music, just spend 10 or 15 minutes alone with God and let him tend to your soul, let him speak to you, let him cultivate what he wants you to hear. Take 10 minutes and spend it with God, and what will happen is he will start to tame that beast inside of you that says, push, 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 more, now. The presence of God will slow you down and you will be able to say, God, you know all things. You know way more than I do. And here's the second part of the verse and it gives another clue to the secret behind what do you do in the meantime? What do you do while you're waiting on God? You worship. And the second one is this. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. That's the second part. That comes on the second part of that period. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. So don't worry about them. And shut the voices out. Just block the voices out. Some of us need to limit or maybe completely put our social media away because there are so many negative voices around us that it causes us to fret and it causes us to worry and we definitely are not worshiping because we can't take our eyes off what we see, this thing. Some of us just really need to stop listening to the news. Because the news is so negative a lot of times that it causes you to not worship because you're so worried. Can I just share something with you? Whatever you see on, on major news networks or headlines or wherever you're getting your news, when you see something, some catastrophe happens or something causes you to want to worry, you may be worried, but God does not look at that and start worrying. First of all, that's not a surprise to him. God is not in heaven wringing his hands like, boy, I don't know what we're going to do about that. Boy, I didn't see that coming. Whoo. What's our emergency plan? God doesn't need an emergency plan. He knows what's going to happen. None of this is a surprise to him. Okay? The, the question is this. Do I trust God? And if I trust God and if I'm in his hand, why would I worry? I'm in his hand. 
Why would I worry? Block out the voices. Do not worry. God has a timetable. He's got a plan. God is not nervous. God is not asking what. God has got it figured out. All of us would do so much better if we could just stop listening to so much of what the world has to say and we started listening to what God has to say. And I tell you this all the time, but it really is true. Listen to me. Listen to me. God loves you, and God is for you. You understand that? God loves you, and he's for you. God's not against you. God's not wanting bad things to happen. God's not, bringing, God's not out to punish you. Two things from that verse. Worship, shut, shut, out, shut out the voices. You do those two things, you're going to be a whole lot better off. Got to hurry. Second thing that Sarah might say to us, when you must wait, focus on what's happening in you, not what's happening to you. That's not what we do. We, we, we reverse those. We, we look way more at what's happening to us than we do what's happening in us. Let me say it another way. When something's happening to you, you can, you can rest assured that God wants to do something in you. What happens when we go through something hard is we cry out, God, help. And God comes along and says, I'd be happy to help, but I'm going to teach you something along the way. We're going to learn a little something. And you're like, no thanks, I don't need to learn anything. I just need you to fix this. And God's like, no, I'm not going to let you, I'm not just going to fix it. We're going to, you're going to learn something. I'm going to build some character in you. And we're like, no, I'm, I'll go to heaven dumber than a stump, okay? I don't need to learn anymore. Just, would you just fix the problem? And it's right here that I would pass, line, an old preacher, pass along an old preacher line, and it's, it's been used a, a hundred years, I'm sure, and I'm sure you've heard this in sermons, but it doesn't mean that it's not a good one. This is the line. God is more interested in your character than he is interested in your comfort. I don't like hearing that any more than you do because I'm all about my comfort. So are you. Right? We are too. In fact, you are more like God than you realize when it comes to your kids. You are not interested in your kids' comfort. You're interested in their character. You want me to show you? It's school time. Your child is in bed. You've been up. You've got breakfast ready. It's time to get them up and get them going. And they are one of those that just doesn't want to move. And you say, come on, it's time to go to you know, school. And you're all chipper and trying to be happy. And I don't want to go to school. I got a tummy ache. Now, when that happens, you do one of two things. This is probably what you don't do. You could, but you probably don't. Oh, honey, that's okay. You just roll over and go to sleep. That's all right. You don't need to go to school. School's stupid. You're, that's not what you're saying. Get up. I'm sick. Throw up and prove it. <laughs> it's like Mar Mark Lowry said, then when you throw up, they look at you and say, now don't you feel better? Let's go to school. You're not about your kid's comfort. You're about their character. God is the exact same way. God's the exact same way. In fact, as a parent, I have inflicted discomfort on my kids to build character, right? So does God. Listen to this. This is from the message, Romans 8, and, 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 and Paul uses a, a, a pregnancy illustration here. I love the way the message writes this. That is why waiting does not diminish us. Any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become. And all the pregnant women in the room said, absolutely. And the more joyful our expectancy. Men, I would just suggest that you don't quote this passage to your wives, okay? If you, want, if you like air and want to breathe, don't. But the longer we wait, the larger we become. I have listened intently to ladies. I mean, I've heard you guys talk about how painful childbearing is and how, you know, it's just this excruciating thing. And I already told you how I'm oriented to comfort and I just don't have any desire to know that kind of pain. But I have asked, like, what gets you through? When it, when it hurts, when, it, when, when you're in the middle of that, you know, and you see it on television and they're acting and what it looks like and you're like, ooh. And I've asked ladies, like, how do you get through that? What, what are you thinking that gets you on the other side of that pain? And they say, what gets me, I've heard this lots of times, what gets me on the other side of the pain is they're going to put a baby in my arms. 
It's going to coo. It's going to cry a little bit. I'm going to nurse it. It's going to have that baby smell. I'm going to be able to put it in my husband's arms, and my mom and dad are going to be there, and I'm going to become a grandparent for the first time. And, and it's all that stuff that gets me through the pain of what I'm going through. I just close my eyes, and I remember the joy that is going to come after the pain. That's what we've got to do. They were, see, you've got to ignore the pain to be able to see the purpose in the promise. That's what we've got to be able to do. God, I don't understand what you're doing. There's a purpose here. There's something you're building in me. I don't like it. It's painful. I don't like it. But something good is on the other side of this. I have to believe that. And God, whatever it is, I'm open to it. I'm looking for the purpose in the pain. Check this out. Patience isn't the ability to wait, but how you act while you're waiting. James said, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. There's that word again. He's going to use it again. Let perseverance finish its work <clears throat> so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You may not like it, but you need to understand God is committed to this concept. He is committed to this. Listen to me. Many of us are, are actually slowing the process down because our attitude toward it prohibits God from being able to do the things he's wanting to do in us. We just, we fight it. The more you embrace the idea that God wants to do a deep work inside of you, the faster you will get through whatever it is you're going through. Learn the lesson let God do the work in you. Let him install the A-H in your name like he did Abram. Let him take you from Abram to Abraham. Let him do that in your life. Here's the last thing Sarah might say to us as she runs alongside. Even our very best cannot possibly compare to anything God has in mind. Isaiah 64 in the message. Since before time began, no one has ever imagined nor ear heard, no eye seen, a God like you who works for those who wait for him. God has something better for you than you can imagine for yourself. God has a much better plan for your life than you have for yourself. But you have to be willing to wait for it. I want to close by telling you a story. It's one of my favorite stories. Uh, some of you may know my son Bennett. He's a, he's a, he's a big old boy now. It's like hugging an oak tree when you hug Bennett. But when he was little, um, you know, we liked baseball in our house, and so I was going to have him play baseball, and when he was old enough to walk, I went out and bought him catcher's equipment, right? And you'd see him in the backyard. He could barely walk with everything on, but it just was awesome. And I bought him a little glove and the whole deal, and, and it was wonderful. And then I, he started to grow, and we started playing Little League baseball. And I knew that the catcher's mitt I had him using was not sufficient for him to be able to play in the future. So we started talking about a new catcher's mitt. The day came that I was going to go buy a new catcher's mitt for Bennett, so I took him with me. We were going to shop in Terre Haute first. This is back in the day when there was galleons in Plainfield. Come on, you know what I'm talking about, right? Best sporting goods store I've ever been in in my life. Galleons, it was awesome. And I knew probably I'm going to end up at galleons, but let's go see what we've got in Terre Haute because we didn't have some of the stores we've got now. And so I, I didn't think I would be able to find one in Terre Haute, but we went, we went to a store Bennett runs to where the catcher's mitts are. He runs back to me. He's got one in his hand. Dad! It's like the Holy Grail, right? Look at this catcher's mitt. It's so cool. It's so awesome. You can see the hope in his eyes. Now, I'm a ball player. I know what a good catcher's mitt should look like. I know how much money I have. I know what I'm prepared to pay for it. I'm, I'm willing to pay a lot more than this is worth. And this catcher's mitt is trash, okay? Like, we're not getting this thing. But when you're a little kid, and it's probably the only one the store had, and he's thinking this is the only one there is, he's like, Dad, I love this catcher's mitt. This catcher's mitt is awesome. And I held it, and I know I'm about to break his heart. No, Bennett, go put that one back. We're not going to get that one. Oh, Dad, this is a good catcher's mitt. You know, through it, you know, and then you're, you scold him. It's supposed to be a father-son day, and he's throwing stuff, and you're getting frustrated, and Next store, same thing. Dad, look at this one. I know I'm going to break his heart. No. Then I get him in the car. Dad, where are we going? We're going to Plainfield. I don't want to go to Plainfield. It's too far to go to Plainfield. We walk into Galleons. 
We walk up. They've got like 20 catcher's mitts. I look at the prices. I look at one I can afford. I, I find the best deal I can find, and I take it off the shelf. And I put it on, and I start pounding it. And he's like, Dad, let me see that. And I put it on his hand, and it's a little big, but it was going to be okay. He was going to be able to use that. You know, they got to be broken in and the whole deal. And I said, what do you think of that one, buddy? He's, and he looked at me like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I said, you think that one would do? He said, are you going to get this for me? I said, yeah, if you like it, that's the one we're going to take home. Oh, Dad, this catcher's mitt's awesome. Well, this was way better than the one we got in Terre Haute. I said, yeah, I've, I've known all along we were going to get you a really, really good one. Oh, Dad, I really like this one. Now listen to me. If I, as a father, in the love for my son, know that I'm going to give him something better than he could have ever imagined in his life, do you not think that God has a much bigger picture for you? Do you not think that God loves you way more then I love Bennett. And if you know me, you know I love Bennett. But God loves you way more than that. And God wants so much more for your life than what you even know. And oftentimes what we're doing is we're dragging these little piddly, trashy catcher's mitts. God, can I have this? And God's like, no, that's not good enough. Oh, God! Right? Right? That's what we do. Patience. God is working in you. God's bringing something that you can't even conceive that's so much bigger than anything you could imagine. Wait on him. Let's pray. Father, we, we are just like little children. We, we want what we want. We want it now. We don't understand when it doesn't come. We get frustrated. Father, you have watched us, all of us, you've watched us walk away from you in disgust and anger, and you are so gracious to receive us back. Father, we fall to our knees in this moment. And we just thank you for not giving up on us. We thank you for receiving us back. We thank you for loving us through our childishness. We thank you for those moments when we got impatient and we ran ahead of you and we did something stupid. Father, would that fuel us for the future to be able to wait for you? To count on your love for us, to know that you want only the very best for us and that our comfort is not your number one concern, but our character is. Father, we need your help with this. We are so feeble. We are so frail. We need you and we confess that in these moments build in us the patience that make us the people you can use. It's in Jesus' name we pray.